Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. St. Benedict would always tell his monks, don't listen to what people say, instead watch what people do. I'll say that again. Don't listen to what people say, instead watch what they do. That's because actions speak louder than words. And a lot of times what people say is not always what they do. Now, why is this important? Because I think it speaks volumes for the gospel story. Now, notice what's going on here in the gospel. The people are leaving Jerusalem to go to this deserted area to listen to this obscure figure named John the Baptist. Now, appreciate the whole context in which this gospel is set in. Jerusalem, it's the capital city of all of Israel, the whole country. You could say it's the source of all worldly desires. If you had any worldly desire, whatever it may be, financial, spiritual, sexual, whatever it is, political, powerful, you would find it in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter for everything. Politics, economics, spirituality, whatever it was, you found it in Jerusalem. And yet the people are leaving. That's good. That's very good. They're leaving the worldly desires because they see something more important, more meaningful, the desire for God. That's why they leave Jerusalem and they go to this rare place in the desert to listen to this obscure figure that is telling them to prepare for the coming of God in this world and in their lives. Now, it's important to first note the people that are leaving and going to John, well, it's a whole multitude of different people. It's basically common people like you and I, tax collectors, soldiers. It's a whole group of people. It's not a certain segment of the population that John is preaching to. It's everybody. Now, they keep asking that question, what do we do? You know, the common people ask, what do we do? The tax collectors, what do we do? Even the soldiers ask John, what do we do? Well, they're eager, right? That's the first thing that we can take from this. By asking that question, they're eager. You know, they have a great desire to grow in their faith. Now realize, these people have listened to John, they have been baptized, and now they ask John, what do we need to do more? They want to grow in their faith. They want to grow in a greater knowledge of their faith. And so they're very eager. Now, I think this is a great question of discipleship. You know, any true and authentic disciple of Jesus Christ, follower of Christ, will be asking this question now and always. What can I do? What can I do to live out my faith? What can I do to grow in the knowledge of my faith? What can I do to have a sense of purpose and meaning in my life? And so this is a great Advent question for us all. You know, I think many of us asked that same question two weeks ago when we began Advent. We asked ourselves, okay, what can I do during the season of Advent to help me grow in a greater way? so that I can be spiritually fit, ready to celebrate the birthday of our Savior. And so, in so many ways, we are like these people ourselves. 
Now notice what John, how he answers the people. You know, to some he says, you know, if you have two coats, you know, share it one with others who don't. If you have some food, share it with others that are not fed. You know, to some, the tax collectors, he tells them, don't, don't be greedy. To the soldiers, you know, be satisfied with your wages. Now, what are all these things? Coats, food, money, wages? Well, they're all possessions, aren't they? And yet, these very possessions are items of distraction. These could very well distract us from properly preparing to receive Christ into our life. Again, this is so true for us. During this time of Christmas, it is so easy for us, you know, to enter into that frenzied pace of materialism in which we have to, you know, go to the shopping malls and stores and buy and buy and buy. No, instead, Christmas is not about buying or gifts, but instead, first and foremost, Christmas is about celebrating the birth of our Savior and the reason why he came into this world to save us all. Now, don't get me wrong. Giving gifts are, are not bad. In fact, they're very good. We should give gifts to each other, you know, as an expression of our love. But the moment that those gifts become part of our life, even part of our identity or the source of our identity, then we're in big trouble. I'll give you a great example of this. After about six months after I was newly ordained, I had all the masses at my parish. And after I finished all the masses, I locked up the church doors and went back to the rectory to relax. I turned the TV on, I got something to eat, and I sat down to relax. About five minutes later, I heard the doorbell ring. So I thought, oh gosh, I'm exhausted. Now what? So I go and answer the door and I open it up. And there's this man standing there in his middle 40s. And he's very well-dressed and well-groomed. He's wearing this beautiful Armani suit. I looked over his shoulder. I saw this beautiful Lexus. And I knew it wasn't mine. It must have been his. And he had rings on his finger and a gold Rolex watch. And he said to me, he said, you know, Father, I know you're exhausted. And I know this is Sunday afternoon and you should be resting. And I know that I don't belong to this parish, but I really need to talk to you. And so I said, sure, fine. So we made our way into my office. We sat down and he said, you know, Father, I've accomplished all of my goals. I have accomplished everything I set out for, all my dreams. I'm the CEO of my company. It's a Fortune 500 company. I make millions of dollars every year. I have five houses here and there. I have many cars. I just bought a jet airplane. I have it all. Now, drawing upon my several months of pastoral ministry and psychology and counseling, I responded to him by saying, well, that's great. I'm very happy for you. And then he looked at me and he said, and I'm absolutely miserable. And he started to cry. And I thought to myself, oh, geez, did I say the wrong thing? Now, this man began to tell me just why he was so miserable because of everything that he had. He thought that having a couple cars was great, but it was not enough, so he had to have more. He thought just climbing the corporate ladder a few paces or positions was good, but it wasn't enough. It didn't satisfy him. He had to get to the top. The same thing with houses and cars and planes. You know, once he had one, one wasn't enough. He had to have more and more and more. He felt these things were the source of his happiness and fulfillment. And he found out now it wasn't. And that's why he was so miserable. 
You know, I've spoken to this many times about St. Augustine. St. Augustine gives us that beautiful quote from his autobiography, The Confessions. Lord, you have made us for yourself, and therefore our hearts are restless until they rest in you, my God. We are wired for God. Each and every one of us has an infinite longing for the divine in our life. When we attach that longing for God to God, then we have fulfillment and meaning and happiness in life. Whether we have one house or eight houses, whether we have one car or five cars, doesn't make a difference. As long as God you know, satisfies that infinite longing that we have for God, then we're always going to be happy, fulfilled, have a purpose-filled life. What did this man do? He attached that infinite longing to these possessions, you know, to houses and cars and planes, and that's why he was so miserable. You know, those things did not fulfill him, give him purpose or meaning or even happiness in life. And that's why he was so miserable. See, that's something that we should take from this. That's what John is addressing first and foremost. Now, notice John addresses each, you could say, segment of the population separate and distinctly. First, the common people. He says to them, well, if you have two coats, you know, share one with someone that doesn't have a coat. If you have some food, share it with someone that is starving or doesn't have any food. Well, what we have to do is share what we have with others. You know, I think what we have to do is develop the mindset of St. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas said, everything that we have is on loan from God. Our possessions, our property, our houses, our cars, even flesh, bone, blood, even our very thought are not ours, but instead they are on loan from God. Well, if we truly believe that all these things that we have in our life are gifts from God, then we can freely share those gifts from others, just like God freely shares those gifts with us. And we can do that each and every day of our life. Now, notice how he addresses the tax collectors. He tells them, don't collect any more taxes than you should. Well, we have to realize tax collectors in the first century in the Roman Empire, they earned their salary by skimming off the top. So if you are an honest tax collector, you collected the necessary taxes every month, and then you took a little bit off in order to pay your own salary. Now, tax collectors knew that they had to basically come up with a specific amount of money every month, a quota, you could say, to send to Caesar as tribute. Now, tax collectors, if they wanted, you know, an addition on their house, wanted to buy more horses, you know, wanted to buy more clothing, they would skim off a little bit more. So you would have to pay more taxes. Now, you were forced to pay those taxes because if not, the Roman army would come and throw you in jail. And so, tax collectors were notorious for being cheats and scoundrels. John is getting to that. Basically, he's telling them to not use their power or their influence to take advantage of people, but instead to treat all people with dignity and respect. Well, you know, that's a great message for us all. Now, notice the soldiers. He says to them, you know, stop extortion and be satisfied with your wages. Well, if you look at the history of the Roman soldiers, the Roman army, they were probably the most disciplined soldiers and army in all of history. And yet, there still was that temptation that given just a little bit of authority, there was that temptation to manipulate those under you for your own gain. You know, Augustine called it the libido dominande, the lust to dominate. 
You see this, you know, throughout world history. People that are given a little bit of power, they want more and more. It seduces them. You see this up and down the world history. Caesar, Napoleon, Stalin, Hitler. We see it in our own day with Putin. You know, that lust to dominate. Well, what we have to do is we have to use the influence or, you know, the authority that we may have with others for other people's benefit, not our own personal benefit. Now, notice too, he says, be satisfied with your wages. What does that mean for us? Well, we have to be satisfied with who we are. Regardless of our occupation, regardless of our socioeconomic status, be satisfied with who you are. God loves you for who you are. Therefore, we should be able to be loved ourselves, be satisfied with ourselves and who we are. Give you one last thing to think about. There's a movie that's coming out about Mother Teresa. Now, Mother Teresa would always tell her nuns, we will be judged, but we will be judged on how well we loved. Now, remember, loved means to will the good of another. So we will be judged by how well we will the good of another. And that is so true. You know, how well are we you know, practicing charity and compassion? How well are we practicing forgiveness? You know, those, those are all ways in which we love others. Maybe during this Advent, we've performed devotions and we've prayed for others. Well, we've loved those people that we prayed for. Maybe at our parishes, we've had collection drives for the poor. We collected toys or whatever it may be for poor people. Well, that, those were acts of charity and compassion. And those were acts of love. So those were all acts in which we tried to love other people. And so it's important for us to continue just that. You know, in so many ways, I would argue that we are doing exactly what John told those people in the first century to do. Well, we now are doing that ourselves. We're living out John's instructions just by how we live our lives. And so we have two more weeks left in Advent. It's important for us to finish off Advent exactly how we started with that great question, you know, what can we do? Well, we can do a lot of things with the next two weeks. You know, in our parishes, we can probably go to confession. We can go to serve the poor, maybe serve them in the form of collecting items or maybe serving meals, whatever it may be, praying. These are all ways in which we perform acts of love, just like the saints have done throughout the centuries. And so it's important to finish off the season well so that we are properly prepared to receive Jesus Christ, not just at Christmas, but each and every day of our life. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.